Thank you for joining the live broadcast of East Bay Bible Fellowship in Alameda, California. We pray that you'll be blessed by the worship and the preaching of God's Word. If you have any questions or would like to find out more about our service times and location, feel free to call us at 510-697-8220 or go to our website at ebbfellowship.com. That's ebbfellowship.com. Thank you and God bless. So um, for the next several weeks, our theme is going to be uh, in Alameda as it is in heaven. And we're going to be focusing in on evangelism and growth, not just numerical growth, but every kind of growth there is. Uh, But today I do want to talk a little bit about a culture of growth. And uh, I'm I'm pretty excited about uh, what I'm about to teach, and uh, I hope it it does bless you. So uh, let's get started. First of all... um, and by way of introduction, I want to give you some interesting facts that I think um, are, are going to uh, benefit all of us. We will be reading a lot of uh, scripture in just a few minutes. So if you have your Bibles or your phones ready, hallelujah. Here we go. Uh, nine out of ten churches average less than 350 members. Nine out of ten churches in the United States have 350 mem- uh, members or less or they average less than 350 members. This has not changed for a long time. These statistics have been around uh, for quite some time. But what has changed here in America, as we all know, um, is the growing number of people in America. Not just Americans, but also people that have migrated to the United States. Um, uh, Just in this room, we, we not only do we have Americans, but we have people that are mixed, and we have people that are uh, Filipino and Hispanic. So we can all, just this church itself um, uh, is, is, uh, is, is evidence of that. And those numbers are growing. Those numbers are not shrinking. And I know that right now, and I'm not going to get into it, I know that right now there's all these, like, these, these debates going on about immigration and bans and who can come into the country. Where, but this, despite that, there are still people coming into the United States of America Every single day. And our concern as the church is reaching them. Right? Um, Whether they come here or we go there. Because some of you have been on, uh, some of us have all been on foreign uh, missionary trips. So the the church still has the the demand uh, put in front of it of reaching the lost. Um, uh, For us, the lost is anybody. Hallelujah. So we still have that. And the supply and demand deficit is exasperated. When you consider that large amounts of people, uh, we're talking about the migration between countries, but there's also a migration going within church culture. And what's happening in America right now, um, there are large migrations of people leaving small churches to go to big churches. And so now, as as you can see, the problem becomes more complicated because you you have nine out of ten churches that are, you know, running 350 or less. And then so you have all these small churches. Well, those small churches, the people going to those smaller churches are leaving and they're going to much larger churches. Well, what does that mean? That the smaller churches um, are disappearing. They're, they're getting smaller. And in some cases, they are disappearing. Um, or in some cases, they are so small 
that they're really ineffective. Um, I have been all over the United States. I have traveled uh, as far east as Maine, and I live in far west California. And I can tell you right now that even here in the city of Alameda, when we were looking to rent facilities, it was not uncommon that we got turned down because um, there would be a group of like three people that is renting out half a church for the last 10 years. Um, and then, you know, I've gone as far east to the east coast in Maine or the south, uh, all these areas, Louisiana, the Bible Belt, all these areas. And even there, it's not uncommon to see a massive building. But inside of it, there's really only about 20, 30 people. And, um, and if you think that those people are out knocking doors, winning souls, impacting their communities, I, at, at the expense of sounding rude, that's not what they're doing. And that's not even what they're doing uh, in some of the cases here. Uh, I did meet some of these pastors and congregations, I re- and I won't get into it, but um, I did meet some of the pastors. And they're, they're not really even interested in, in reaching the lost. Um, and there's some theological reasons for that. They have certain beliefs about, you know, whatever. But then there's just the plain old fact. They're just not interested. And so these are big problems. Uh, 50% of all churches in America average less than 100 uh, people in attendance. 40% of all churches in America average between 100 and 350 in attendance. But 10% of all churches in America average that 350 up mark. So the biggest churches are actually the smallest percentage. They're, yeah, exactly. They are the smallest percentage. Um, I want you to stop and consider for a moment how small the percentage of these churches is. That is 350 and above. Um, and I want you to stop and, and embrace the fact that we really have a job to do. Yeah. We really have a job to do. There's nothing wrong with the gospel. Um, I personally, I personally um, have... Uh, have encountered people that feel that um, as far as the apostolic variety, Pentecostal variety of churches is concerned, that one of the reasons we're not growing is because how we deliver the gospel or the demands that we say the gospel makes on people. That's not the problem. Um, If that was the problem, I could tell you of several quack job religions, uh, both Christian and non-Christian, that are very large. Uh, they don't have any problem. The Moonies, they have no problem growing. You know, and they perform mass weddings. Can you imagine going to church where you have to get married with 5,000 other people? They have no problem growing. Um, uh, I can go on and on and on. And, and when you look at even here historically in San Francisco, uh, Jim Jones and these guys. Jim Jones was able to get over 1,000 people to follow him to Guyana and drink Kool-Aid. Wow. All right? So don't, don't ever let anybody tell you that the problem uh, is that we're making too high demands. And we have all these antiquated forms of doctrine, right. beliefs. That's not the problem. Amen. And the gospel's not the problem. Um, and neither do I think that America, and I want to I be very clear about this. I don't think that the United States of America is so bad that it cannot stomach the gospel. Amen. I don't believe we're there yet. Amen. I believe that there's still hope for America. Amen. I believe that there's still hope for California. Amen. I believe that there's still hope for the Bay Area. And I Amen. believe there's still hope for Alameda. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. And uh, I'm probably going to edit. Well, I'll, I'll say this in a minute. But I do believe with all of my heart um, that, that there's still time. And I do believe that American people, by and large, of, of all persuasions, right, and of all countries and of all nations, are actually very open to the gospel. Um, like, you, there's so many people to pick from, you know, to talk to. Um, and uh, so the, we, we have something to be very much excited about. Um, Let's read Exodus 18 and 17 
uh, and uh, 18, 17 through 18. Uh, those of you who are familiar with the story will recognize that it's uh, Moses speaking with his father-in-law, Jethro. Um, and uh, so who, who's got that? Exodus 18, Sister Harris. 18, 17, uh, yes, uh, 18, 17, and 18. Two verses. All right. So um, the story is that Moses has now led the children of Israel out of Israel. And now they are they are having to become a governed people. They are having to organize themselves. And Jethro, his father-in-law, comes along and notices that Moses is trying to lead the people all by himself. Um, the Bible says that he would literally wake up in the morning and he would sit at a chair uh, and he would just fix everybody's problems. And Jethro comes along and he's like, man, you're doing it all wrong. Um, the HCSB says, uh, what you are doing is not good. <laughs> uh, what you are doing is not good. You will certainly wear out both yourself and these people who are with you. Because the task is too heavy for you, you can't do it alone. And I want you to realize the consequences of one person trying to lead several people is he will wear himself out and he will wear the people out. Right? Because eventually people are like, man, well, if this is a one-man band, you know, uh, somewhere people are going to feel there's going to be problems there. It's not just the leader that gets worn out. The people get worn out as well. Moses was forced at this very juncture in his life uh, to become a different kind of a leader with a different kind of organization. Let's look at the change and shift. Moses' first stage of leadership revolves around his family. All right? Moses' first stage of leadership revolves around his family. In Exodus 4 and 14, Aaron, his brother, is introduced to his ministry. This is the burning bush where Moses does not want to talk. And God says, fine, then I'm going to bring your brother. He will talk for you. In Exodus 15 and 20, Miriam, his sister, they are now fresh out of Egypt. And what happens? The Bible says that Miriam, his sister, leads all the women. Everyone say all the women. She leads all the women of Israel. This was the first woman's march ever. And uh, he, he leads all, she, she, is, she is literally convincing all the women to take up tambourines and follow her. So, the, so right now, just look at Moses' life so far. He is, he is literally, his closest, most inner circle of people are all related to him. Even the guy who's telling him how to change his form of leadership is his father-in-law, his wife's husband. And then his right-hand man is his brother and his right-hand His left-hand woman is his sister, all right? Uh, And his wife is in there somewhere. In Numbers 12, God addresses Miriam and Aaron about their brother's role and their need to respect him by speaking to them, by speaking to them. This is shortly after Miriam badmouths her brother, uh, but the Bible says that the Lord speaks to Moses, Aaron, and Miriam and tells them to come forth. And he begins to talk to them. But God, by speaking to Miriam and to Aaron, 
in the presence of Moses and directly to them while not talking to Moses, the inference here is that they were obviously even viewed as Moses' inner ring of leadership. So Moses' first stage of leadership is family-based and family-centered. Okay? Ironically, churches under 100, and this is, this is really something I want us to grasp. Churches under 100 tend to be family and close friend-centered churches. So the majority of churches that are under 100, and I've preached at thousands of them, and I preach at hundreds of them every year, churches usually that are 100 and under will be made up of several large families. And when I say several, I, I'm meaning seven. <laughs> uh, me and Jamie argue about what several means. But it's not uncommon to go to a church of 100, and there's probably like five major families there that constitute the bulk of that congregation. That's, that's from Maine to, to, to Alameda. Hallelujah. You'll see that, that the churches under 100 are running on, on this, family, uh, this family power. We'll call it family fuel. Hallelujah. They're running on family fuel. Okay, um, in order to pass the 100, we have to go past the family and close friends mindset. That's good. All right, you have to stop at some point, you have to stop being the mom and pa church, right? Okay, but but I do want to make this very clear to you there is nothing wrong with that stage Amen. from one to a hundred or from zero to you know what? Me and Jamie's first Bible study was with with Nana, with her, her how old is she now? <laughs> Uh, 90 with her 90 year old grandma. we could not get her to sit down for the first 20 minutes we told her he told her we were starting a church she she started laughing at us she said this is not a church she said where is everybody and, and it was me uh jamie ayla and her 90 year old grandma and um but you know what she did sit down and she did have a church and but you know me and jamie we felt at that very moment This is the beginning. This is something special. This is powerful. This is how it starts. That's how it started for Moses. There's nothing wrong if that's how it starts for me. That's the way God does things. There's nothing wrong with God moving among families. First, because that's what he told Abraham the blessing would be. That him and his family would be a blessing to the families and the nations of the earth. God wants his presence in the middle of families. But that is... That is one, that, that, the one to 100 family, close friends, uh, family and friends network, <laughs> uh, that is a stage, not a destination. Amen. Amen. Right. All right. That is a rung in the ladder. That is not, you're, we're not meant to stay there. So um, I'm saying all that to say this, that we're, we're not looking to stay in the 1 to 100 range. Amen. We're looking to go past that. Yeah. But, but let, let me establish for you that there's nothing wrong with that, with that stage. Amen. Jesus himself did not bypass that stage in the growth, in growth. Right. But he did go past it, all right? He didn't bypass it, but he did go past it. I want you to stop and notice that the family-centered uh, phase or stage Uh, I want you to stop and notice that Jesus went through this exact same stage and phase as well. Number one, he's baptized by his cousin. Jesus' ministry begins with his cousin. Um, So he gets baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist, who himself will later transfer his disciples over to Jesus. Um, uh, Matthew 4 and 18. Uh, Who wants to read that for me? All right, Sister Janelle, Matthew 4 and 18. 
of two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. All right, look at Matthew 4.18. Jesus is, uh, begins to do outreach to get his inner circle. What does he do? He finds two brothers. Luke 4.38-39, through 39, Sister Prado. Luke 4, 38 through 39. 438 through 39. Okay, then he got up and left the synagogue and entered into Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever and they asked him to help her. And standing over her, he rebuked the fever and it left her and she immediately got up and waited on them. All right, look at that. Luke 438 through 39. Jesus, in, 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 uh, in 418 of Matthew, he wins Jesus. He wins Paul and uh, Peter and Andrew. In Luke uh, 438 through 39, he goes over to Peter's house and what's he do? He, I, I know some people probably wouldn't have done this, but he healed uh, Peter's mother-in-law. Hallelujah. Um, he, he healed Peter's mother-in-law. And that is very significant. I promise you that when he healed that woman, he got favor in that family like you wouldn't believe. I promise you that when that woman got up and she started shouting, I was healed, uh, she told her uncles and her brothers and her cousins. And, and, and not only that, but I want you to stop and think about this. Jesus was going to have to pull Peter away from his family. Yeah. And so, but now he's securing this favor, these blessings that will allow Peter some liberty. Amen. They're going to know like, hey, this is the guy that healed mama. You know, let him, whatever he says, just do it. And so, but that's, that. these are the beginning stages of Jesus's ministry. Look here, uh, Jesus goes on and who does he win after that? He wins a man by the name of John. And what does John have? He has a brother named James and they were brothers. And Jesus has several throughout the Gospels. Jesus has several interactions with John and James and their mother and their father. They were called the sons of thunder, the sons of Zebedee. Um, at one point, Jesus even, uh, their mother comes to Jesus. And so you could see how the very first stages of Jesus's ministry were even in the same. They were friends. They were family, not even friends. They were family. He had this family network. When Jesus's ministry breaks 120, where does it break 120? In the book of Acts. In the book of Acts, Jesus' ministry breaks the 120 mark. And if you read carefully the book of Acts, you know what you're not going to find in there? All the disciples. The only people you're going to find in Acts is Peter, James, and John. But you have another 11. You read about them in Acts 1, but after that, you don't hardly read about any of Jesus's. The, most of the people you read about in the Synoptic Gospels are not in the book of Acts. Why? Because the thing went corporate. It went from the from the from the storefront to the forefront, and so now you see that 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 expanse where it's like, okay, this is not just a family affair anymore. This is not just for the sons of thunder and their mom and dad. This is not just for that that awesome mother in law who I healed. This is now this is going past your families. This is going. This is as as the Bible put it, uh, uh, beginning at Jerusalem to the ends of the earth. Amen. So it, it just, it expands. We don't hardly, um, it's critical that the church have a growth mindset. Amen. We have to have a growth mindset. Yes, and first we must know where we are and what we want to grow into. Yes. So we have to know where, where are we? We are at the 1 to 100 range. That's where we are. There's nothing wrong with that unless that's where you try to stay. Right. 
But that's not where we're trying to stay. But that is where we are. We are at the under 100 mark. Therefore, let's realize that at this stage, we're going to have the most influence with our family and our close friends. It's easy to want to avoid this stage. And I'll tell you, um, I know this is not for everybody, but I will go ahead and be transparent with you. It's really easy to want to avoid your friend, your family and close friend stage because there's a lot less room for us to be uh, less Christian. And, and on top of that, it you know, it's one thing to have your coworker like laugh at you and make fun of you. You can come home and cry, but you know, get upset. That's one thing. But man, it hurts when your mom calls you a hypocrite. Or when your, your brother or your sister or your uncle or your cousin says, you know what, I never liked you anyways. You know, you're, you're such a, you're, you're so righteous. You're such a holier than thou. You know, I can't, I can't stand you. Those, it's tempting to want to get away from that. But I want you to know that right now, um, our greatest influence is still in that range. Um, if, if we grow right now, and this is why I am, I am all for, um, I'm all for outreach. I'm all for knocking on the doors of strangers. And um, uh, I believe that that works. Uh, we, we, we have people that come here uh, even as a result of that. Um, but I am going to tell you this. At this stage, the most people we're going to win are going to either be people we know, they're close family friends, or they are family. Right. That's, 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 that's how we're going to... That's, that's what we're supposed to be doing at this stage is winning our immediate friends and family. And I keep saying friends and family, but it's really family and friends. Um, that's really uh, who we need to be reaching out to right now. And that, believe it or not, you can do that. Like I said, we're going to come here on Saturday. Um, I'm not going to drag all the ladies and the kids out knocking doors, though I don't mind doing that. But I, let's, let's get on the phone. Let's call some of our immediate friends and family. And let's tell them, hey, we got, we got church going on. Um, I, I could tell you now, at least myself, I'm more likely now to get my mom in church because of my kids than I've ever been. Um, she will, if I convince her that, you know, um, I want you to stop and realize, our, besides the day we had our, our opening service here, uh, the biggest service we've ever had was when we did baby dedications. You know, this is great. This is telling us something. And I've even seen churches of over 300, 500. You want to see when they pack out their buildings? Baby dedications. Yep. Families. And that's why we started off this month. That's one of the reasons that we start off this month focusing in on the family. Not being afraid to be strong in our family. Not being afraid to minister to that dimension and that, that dynamic of our, of our life. Can you say amen? amen? But where we want to go is the 300 mark. Uh, we can preach and teach that uh, when it comes. Uh, but right now, we're going to focus in on that 100 and under. And we're going to focus in on what we should be doing uh, right now. Uh, but, but let's talk a little bit about a growth mindset. Everyone say growth. Uh, a growth mindset is critical no matter what stage we're at. Organizations that would include churches grow according to their mindset. Whatever mindset we have is what we're going to get. So if we have a, and there are several kinds of mindsets that a church can adopt, right? So some churches say, well, our mindset is A, B, and C. And if that's their mindset, that's what they're going to get. I put it up over there, our mission, our values, our vision, our vision, our mission values. Um, uh, And up there, our, our mission and our vision is to preach the gospel to the people of the East Bay. That is our mission. That is our goal. That is our mindset to reach out. 
to, to, to talk to people everywhere. Um, I'm, I'm, we are not the church of Alameda. We are the church of, we're going to go, we're going to reach out. We, I don't care if you're doing Bible studies on Skype to Indonesia. That's what we're doing. Like we're reaching. That is, that is our goal. That is, that is our objective. I want us to have a growth mindset. Um, uh, as, much, as much as I want there to be other dynamics uh, involved, um, you know, as much as I want there to be all these other dynamics involved in a church, you know, really, Jesus gives us two very simple objectives. Love me and feed the sheep. That's what he told Peter. He asked Peter three times, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? And at the conclusion of each one, he says, well, then feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep. So really, if there's any two things I'm really trying to do is help people love God and then teach them how to feed. Hallelujah. How to love God. And we do that prayer and praise and worship and all these great things. But then we have to be feeders. Thank God for eaters, but we need to be feeders. Hallelujah. Can you say amen? amen? A growth mindset is the understanding that our church's qualities and abilities can change. It's that that's what a growth mindset is. It says, you know what? Um, our music department can grow. That, that's a growth mindset. A growth mindset says uh, for me as the as the preaching pastor here, uh, my, my mindset is I can become a better preacher. I can teach better lessons. Uh, I can become more equipped in biblical knowledge and literacy. I can do these things. Um, uh, but our, we have to have a growth mindset. We can be a better drummer. And we have to believe that. Yeah. Um, as a culture, as a church, I want us to believe that for people. We're, gonna, no, we're not going to get any perfect human beings come through the door. I wish we did. They're not coming. All right? Because they don't exist. Um, but let's have a growth mindset. And growth mindsets are difficult because a growth mindset is going to have somebody... Uh, what a growth mindset does is it's going gonna, it's gonna to hear somebody say, well, I feel like I can't, I can't do it, da da da, da. they're going to give, and the growth mindset says, no, yes, you can, you are capable of doing this. Uh, the, the, we don't only just believe that for people, we believe that for this church. We believe that this church can grow qualitative and quantitative. It can grow in every way. It can, we, can, we can have better services. We can have a better operating. Um, I, and, and, and with all due respect, Let's be patient because it's, it's, it's not ending. Amen. It is non-ending. Um, I, I refuse to ever be like, hey, we got the system in place. It's a well-oiled running machine. Leave it alone. We're never going to do that. We're, if it's a well-oiled running machine, we're going to go buy another machine and learn how that one works. Uh, that's, that's the growth mindset. That, 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 that we're not trading in the gospel. That doesn't change. Those things never change. There's no variables or shadow of turning there. But... Um, but everything else, I want to improve. I want to have better church. I want to reach more people. Yes. I want to have better drums. I want to have better music. I want to have better ushers. I want to, um, I want to whatever. I want to preach better. I want to do everything better. I, I want to have better chairs. I want to have better paint on the walls. I, I want it all to be better and then continue getting better. Um, you know, one of, the most, one of the most amazing things I realized when I was taking Hebrew class at the synagogue uh, where we used to live, you know, I didn't know this, but most synagogues in America are really like community centers, okay? Um, they're not really like religious, they're not like churches. You know, uh, Christian churches, the majority of them, at best, they're like a, a, a preschool and a daycare and a church on Sunday. 
Um, but uh, like these, you'll see them. There's one here now. I mean, like JCCs, they call them like Jewish community centers. These places are not just religious. Right. Um, they're also educative centers. Right. So like I was taking Hebrew there on a Thursday night. And you know that I was the youngest student in there. And do you know that every other student in there was over 60? Wow. And, there, and it was a packed classroom. Yeah. And in some cases, these, these were people that um, some of them, because, because they're, some of them, I remember one day we got in this huge, very heated conversation. Some of them, their grandparents had died in the Holocaust. They migrated to the United States. They never learned Hebrew. Uh, they didn't take their bar mitzvahs. But here they were, or their bat mitzvahs, with men and women. But here they were at 70 and 80, and they were still trying to learn Hebrew so they could take their bar mitzvah. They, they didn't, and, and, and it was, there was a whole classification for it there at the JCC. It was called adult learning. And they had all kinds of classes for adults. I mean, and it was like, there was adult learning, there was senior learning, yeah. there was like kid learning. It was, you don't stop. Right. Amen. It was a growth Amen. mindset. It was, Amen. you don't ever stop learning. Um, you, you, you. You don't just rot away. That's good. Amen. Amen. You don't you don't retire, you refire. Hallelujah. You, you you know, you just you find something to do. Uh, and you find uh, to grow. Uh, you know, I'm gonna say this. This is really good. And uh, I I, th- I think her last name is DeWalt, the woman who wrote the book Grit. But she talks about a growth mindset. Do you know that people who have the way you know some people already have a growth mindset, don't even know it. And it, is, it does have to be cultivated to some degree. But do you know how you know if you have a growth mindset? If you can actually stick to one thing for a long time. People who like are inconsistent do not have a growth mindset. That, that's one of the ways you know if you have a growth mindset. Because growth mindset people actually, what, gro- what a growth mindset does is it makes you more tenacious. So somebody with a growth mindset, let's, let's just talk about saints. Somebody with like a growth mindset who's a saint of God, in the first two weeks of living for God might be like, man, there's so much pressure, but, but it's going to get better. Right. They're already thinking like there's going to be a, a development here. And so they're able to endure the, 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 the persecution of their family. And then they're living for God. And, and now they're, they're starting to tithe. And, and all of a sudden, you know, their first week tithing, uh, they get five new bills in the mail. And, and ra- but they have a growth mindset. They're like, no, th- this is going to get better. Right. And so they're like, man, they tithe their way out of trouble. And then they start offering. And then they get a brand new bill. And they give their way through that. And then all of a sudden, they're like, no, think- they're constantly thinking right. th- there's going to be a growth here. Something's going to sprout from this. Something's, I, 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 I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to quit. I, I, the growth mindset says, I want to know what's around the corner. I'm going to stick around long enough to see what's around the corner. And that, those are the people that grow. And, and, and this is, you know, Jethro told Moses, he says, Moses, if you continue in this form of leadership, you're going to wear yourself out and you'll wear the people out. Right. And, and where a lot of people get worn out is, 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 is if there is not growth. There has to be a growth mindset in play at all times um, because uh, the, the stable and the strong will, will evacuate if there's not growth. Sure. Because the stable and the strong are already thinking in those terms. Right. Right. And uh, uh, you don't necessarily even have to be a Christian to have a growth mindset. Uh, there's, there's plenty of people that, but, but 
uh, a Christian with a growth mindset is a very, very powerful weapon Amen. in the hands of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Um, a growth mindset, uh, the opposite of a growth mindset, and we're, we're almost done here, the opposite of a growth mindset, and uh, Brother Willoughby and I were talking about this just the other day, the opposite of a growth mindset is a fixed mindset. And what a fixed mindset is, is that nothing can change. And I am not afraid to tell you, um, there's actually a test that you can take. I took the test. Uh, I scored okay. Um, But I actually, I saw for the first time where my biggest weakness is. Um, If I'm going to be very transparent. I know this about myself. If I get into a difficult enough trial, one that I can see. If I can actually see my trial, like for example, like, Man, I broke my arm, you know, and I can see this bone sticking out. Uh, um, things that I can, I know this about myself. If I can see it visibly, um, if the thing takes on some sort of visual representation, I struggle for, for a good while convincing myself this God can do that. It takes me a, it takes me a few minutes to get my, my faith motor running and saying, no, you know what? God's got that. God's going to fix this. Um, God's got this. But I realize that about myself. But, but sometimes people, the fixed mindset, and it can get a hold of any of us. All right. The fixed mindset says nothing can change. This is not going to change. This has always been like this. Yeah. You've always done this. Uh, this trial always happens. I know what's going to happen. The, the, the fixed mindset says no change. No change. The growth mindset says God can do it. God will do it. I'm not giving up until God does do it. And, if, and, if, and the growth mindset not only says God will do it, the growth mindset says I will allow God to do it any way he wants. Because if you've been living for God long enough, you know that sometimes God answers your prayer just not the way you requested it. Hallelujah. Sometimes you pray for a car and you get a bus pass. But that's, that's God answering the prayer. And you're on your way to a car. But, you know, you pray for a job and you end up at McDonald's. But that is, but that's still, you know what I mean? The growth mindset says, I will take deliverance. I will take the answered prayer in whatever form it comes. And, uh, and I will keep growing. And, I, and, and, and God in me will keep growing. And so we're wrapping that up here. So uh, having said all of that, uh, we are going to do outreach this month. We're going to do outreach the rest of our lives. <laughs> we're going to have a growth mindset. We're, gonna, we're not just doing outreach this month. We're doing outreach this life. Amen. This life. Amen. We're doing outreach. But this month... This is, I'm telling you right now, this is going to be tough for me like it's probably tough for some of you. This month, I want you to talk to somebody you know. I want you to talk to somebody with your genes. Somebody from your gene pool. Somebody from your, uh, from your, your family, from your clan, from your tribe. I want you to talk to them. I want you to invite them to church. And you know, the thing about family is we all know who's in trouble. So... Hallelujah. I'm not telling you you have to go talk to your mom or your dad or whoever, but go ahead if you feel to. But why not reach out to that busted uncle or that, that messed up cousin or, or, you know, there's somebody out there. There's somebody out there and you know who they are. And I know who they are in my family. And um, um, I'm going to be very honest with you. Uh, I was talking to somebody who's, who's, who's coming to this church now. Um, 
Here's the gospel truth. When we die, when we die, the people we will regret having not reached more will be our families. That is the truth. That is the truth. When you are dying, when you're ready to go, you are going to regret that you did not talk to a particular family member more. Or when they die, you, that's what you will regret the most. Uh, I have a sister who passed away, and I I hate the fact that I didn't talk to her more. She was my half-sister, but who cares? I, I could have been more. I was her, she was my half-sister, but you know what? To her, I was her big brother. And I never used that. I never used that leverage. I never used that, that influence. And I regret that. The day I got the news she died, I felt horrible. Horrible. Because where she's at now, she knows where I'm at right now. And that's the real irony of it all. Somewhere she's like, man, I had a brother who could have talked to me. Who really could have talked to me. And that, I'm, I'm, I'm filleting myself this evening. But I'm telling you, that is the truth. That's a bad thing. I can't think about that too much. Right. I cannot think about that too much. But it is real. And I don't let it go away. I, I let that sting my conscience. I let that stay there. I don't, I don't try to play that off. That's real. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm, I'm talk, I'm, right now, I, just, I finished talking to somebody the other day. And, um, you know, they, 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 they were a, a great soul winner. They've done great things for God. But you know what? I told them, I said, you know what? At this phase and stage of your life, uh, it's time to go gather up the fragments. You know, you got, if you have backslid kids, go get them. Go get them. It's, it's not time. It's, you know, you're, you're, you're at your retirement. You're at the latter years of your life. Go get your lost kids. Go, go, go out there and grab them. There's still time. While, you're, while you have it and while they have it, go get them. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's all stand. Praise God. Thank you so much, everyone. Hallelujah. We're going to pray right now. And um, please, before you leave, uh, I want everybody, we have flyers back there. Everybody take three flyers. Hand out three flyers this week. Uh, we still have a few days 